Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of two certified financial planners. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic conditions, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Nguyen. All right, Bill. New week, same question. How are the markets? Red hot, man. It uh, was actually the best week of the year for stocks. Uh, the Standard Poor 500 up 6%, small caps up 7.9, international 5.91, and bonds coming in at 4.02%. So everything was just rocking this week. Perfect. And, and you know what we say why is the market up? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll just have the podcast right there. Well, thanks for yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and uh, we didn't get any calls from people wanting to know why is the market up? Why, why is the market up 6%? Not yeah. one call. But uh, things were very good. Uh, the market liked all the economic data that came out. They liked the Fed Reserve uh, standing pat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the 10-year Treasury fall uh, or fell quite a bit this week. So that fall also fueled the market run. So it was a great week for every asset class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we had earnings, they were pretty robust. We had a couple of companies trip and fall, but that normally happens in earnings season. Yeah. And then I think the big data point was the job um, or the unemployment rate jumped up to the, what, 3.9 from 3.8. Mm. And I think that signaled, because the projections now are 4.5, rate next year so they're assuming they're going to cut rates by 75 basis points because of that um and so hopefully people seem to be more optimistic about this soft landing where we're able to maybe continue this growth in the economy and keep the fed at bay so i think that's that's good news it's always you know difficult saying oh unemployment went up yay but because those are jobs that people aren't able to do anymore but at the same time I'll take a I'll take a red hot stock week any day of the week. Red hot and uh, also wages came down a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, the jobs report came in less than expected and that just fueled the fire. So it was it was a great week. Yeah. Well, like you said last week, you're saying it's rallying. So let's just let's just keep it going. You know, <laughs> all me, all me. And uh, well, as you know, when when people are overly pessimistic when things are so negative in the press and people think things are going lower, the market usually says, watch this and reverses course. And of course the data uh, backed it up, but we've had a strong couple of weeks in the market. And uh, you know, this week they say it was a good year in the market. So let's keep it going. Let's keep it going, especially, yeah. yes. Hopefully we can continue this rally and get back to where we're in July and surpass that. So Love yes. that. Uh, well, we're actually transitioning for our empowering education. It's it's kind of ironic because treasury yields have dropped a little bit, but we're talking about the the magical number five, and wow. five being when the thirty year treasury hit five percent. That was really the a huge bell going out saying, "Hey, if you want secure money for thirty years at five percent, come and grab it." And Here so we wanted to talk about that first. So. Why is a 30-year treasury at 5% such a, a big deal in this environment? 
Yeah, well, I think rates at 5% at any maturity is a big deal. Mm. It's it's psychological for a lot of people. People like to buy in the fives and zeros, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, and so on. And, and 5% is a magical number for a lot of people. You tell them something's 4%, 3%, 2%, they don't get overly excited. But you say 5%, okay, now you're kind of talking a little bit. And of course, anything above that is is good too. But five percent seems to be that that line in the sand for a lot of people, where they say, "Okay, let's go ahead and commit some capital to the bond market." And I always felt like five percent was a real threat for the market. Hmm. This is when rates were at zero, and you know, and it was. You know, the market sold off pretty good when things really started crossing above five percent from the one month to the thirty year. Yeah. So can you kind of explain to listeners, we don't want to jump too far ahead or get ahead of our skis. When we talk about U.S. Treasuries, what does that mean and why is it so important rather than any other kind of asset class? Well, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. And if you hold it to maturity, you're getting your money back. It's the safest investment in the world, uh, certainly if you're talking about the one-month Treasury bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 30-year has a lot of risk to it, of course, when rates rise. But uh, the Treasury is the gold standard. It's better than any other investment out there for safety. Uh, It's better for hedging stocks. It's the ultimate in terms of fixed income. You don't have to worry about credit risk. You don't have to worry about a default. You don't have to worry about merger and acquisition. It's really just the pure play investment. You put in 5%, you're getting that money guaranteed, and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because a lot of people say, oh, U.S. Treasury, right, full faith of the government, amazing. Well, I can go to, say, X company and mm-hmm. do a 30-year, and it might be paying 6 and 6.5%. But yeah. then you talk about that credit risk, and people are saying, well, some of these companies are never going to go out of business. Yeah. And then you look 20 years ago, where was Sears, right? And so it's just that yeah. idea of getting that complete and total credit-free risk. And I think that's what really is enticing and kind of what – causes this really yeah, I have a list of long a long list of safe companies that are no longer here yeah that have gone belly up and um, and also with the treasury if you live in a state like California or New York you don't pay any state income tax on that Ooh. treasury so now you're looking at in some cases a 10 or 15 percent pop on that income above and beyond uh, the coupon rate that you're getting to five percent so if you're in a tax state, it's a, it's a tax benefit to buy treasuries over corporate bonds or CDs. Mm, that, that's good. So with this this 5%, and you said it was kind of psychological, people like to yeah. buy 0, 5, and 10. Does it work theoretically? So, so if somebody says, hey, I just want to put all my money in treasuries, has that been a successful strategy? What are the pitfalls of that yeah. strategy? And then also what, is it, what are the advantages as well? Yeah. Well, let me take you back in time when I started. And in January of 90, it was possible to buy a 30-year treasury bill at 8%, uh, tax-free bonds over 7%. And I can cold call on those all day long. And uh, no one really wanted a 30-year treasury, but uh, we sold a lot of municipal bonds at 7%. And then when rates started to fall, at six, six and a half, five and a half, five percent. When I started cold calling on bonds that were paying four, four and a half percent, no one cared. Mm-hmm. But when it got to five percent, they said, yes, I'll take all you got. So 
I've been able to live it as well as rates went from uh, you know eight to seven to six to five to four. People did not want to buy bonds at four percent. They wanted five percent or higher. So, but that's just me. But let's look at some data. So let's go back uh, to January of 1995. Okay. So the previous year, the Federal Reserve raised rates a hundred percent. Went from three percent to six percent. The bond market sold off. It was down about eight percent. Stocks were up uh, in '94, one point three percent. In January '95, you could have bought a T bill at five and a half percent. So, so very similar today. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, almost, almost the same. And you could have also bought a thirty-year Treasury bond at seven and three quarters percent. So if you had bought that 30-year treasury in January 1995, paying 7.34%, it doesn't mature until January of 2025. So you would still own that bond. So that would have been the great investment trade is to buy the 30-year treasury. But let's look at some data, some average, average return. So you went and bought that that T-bill at five and a half percent. So for the past, what is that, 28 years, the average rate of return on that investment has been 2.16%. Wow. 2.1. So your dollar grew to $1.83, okay? So then you bought long-term bonds. So the long-term bond average during that same time frame for the last 28 years has been 4.96%. turned into $3.94. Now you go to the stocks, S&P 500, it returned 9.67% per year since January 95, turning $1 into 13. Hmm. And then if you went into small caps, they averaged over 11% per year, turning $1 into 20. So back then, if we were having this conversation in January 95, you could have bought a T-bill at 5.5%, very much like today stock market not cooperating, and you could have been happy. But the best play at that time was buying large and small cap stocks. Interesting. So why did um, the rate go from that 7% that we saw in the 30-year to that 2.61 that you you spoke about? Yeah. So the 2.16 is for the one-month T-bill. So that just assumes that you roll over the T-bill every month. Gotcha. And the long-term bond is an average of of all the bonds. But you had the opportunity to buy an individual 30-year treasury at seven and three quarters percent for 30 years. But at the time in January 95, people were like, I'm not buying a 30-year bond. What are you crazy? But had they done it, they would have made seven and three quarters percent. But the other average is a pool of long-term bonds and that would have returned 4.96% per year. So it looks like, I mean, 7% guaranteed, that, that, that's very hard to beat. So yeah. when we're talking about the advantages, we know that the stocks are growth oriented. And even you talk about long-term bond, that 4% is much higher than the T-bill um, yeah. taking that risk. So how, how would you guide somebody that's like, okay, well, why not just go seven years for 30 years? What's the point of messing with stocks and bonds? Why not just, you know what? 30 years, I'm good. I'll be retired by then and, and let it ride. And there's a lot of people that should do that. Mm. They they could put their money in a 30-year treasury. 
get 5% for the rest of their life, then life is good. The challenge to that potentially could be inflation, hmm. or it will be inflation yeah. over 30 years from now. So that, that treasury bill that, that you could have bought at seven and three quarters, you know, that's a good rate. But the long-term bond average, you made you know three to four times more in the stock market than you did in the bond market. So it still favors stocks, but there's a lot of people, you know what? Hey, I'm going to get 5% for the rest of my life. I'm good with that. And, and they, they could do it. The challenge is if inflation goes high or continues to rise, and it will, yeah. then the value of that 5% loses its luster and uh, their return is probably going to be 1% to 2% after inflation and taxes over that 30-year mm. period. Mm. That, that's a good point, right? Inflation is... When we talk about capital preservation and making sure that we're planning, inflation is, is going to be there regardless. And, yeah. and let's have... go back. Let's go back to last year. So uh, inflation was over nine percent. Yes. And companies said, "Hey, we need to raise our prices ten percent because inflation is going up. We can't offset our cost. We're going to raise our prices ten percent." So now inflation's at three percent. Those companies aren't lowering their prices, so they they got a free pass a 10% boost on their bottom line by raising their prices and we're paying for it and they're not lowering their prices. And that's the damage of inflation over time. But if you own stocks in those companies like Coke, Pepsi, McDonald's, mm -hmm. you're profiting from that rise in inflation. They're passing that on to the consumer. The company makes more money and you as a shareholder make money. And that's one of the reasons why stocks outperform inflation over time. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense, right? With stock, you're getting the profit of inflation and a fixed rate. Inflation is going up. It's going to hit it um, if it continues to go up rapidly. And yeah, I mean, we've had many periods in, in our history where inflation has gone red hot for a little bit of a period of time, maybe not too extended, but that's a really good point. And so is that where we're seeing, is that where we're at right now? Because 7% sounds a whole lot better than five, but it seems as everybody said, oh, the magic number five was just yeah. gravitated. Is that just because COVID caused rates to hit zero and people are kind of in that shock and awe factor? Because no, I think 5% I think is just a magical number for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a number that they could live with. And in, in our industry, you hear the term, the 4% rule, yeah. that if you take out 4% of your, your investments, uh, in theory, uh, you'll never run out of money. And now you can get 5%. So if you can get 5% guaranteed, why not? Why not yeah. just put it into that investment and get that income? It, it takes away pretty much all the investment decisions you need to make because you're going to get that 5% income on a regular basis. Now, if we go into another COVID environment, I hope not, and rates go to zero, now you're you're stuck. What are you going to do? Yeah. You're you're, you're not getting that 5% income anymore. Now you're rolling it over at zero and uh you're stuck. I, yeah, I don't think we'll go back to zero ever again, but they could go lower, of course. Yeah, but that that's also a great point. That's what we call reinvestment risk. You have this rate yeah. And then as soon as it comes due, you are subject to whatever rate environment that is right there if you want to go back into the fixed income. So if you have a 7%, what was that in 1995? Yeah. In 2025, man, the rate could be, if projections hold clear, 3 to 3.5%. 3 so yeah. what are you going to do for the next 30 years? You're going to jump into the market, and then you have to make a decision. So I think 
that's a good point that even if we have this cert, 30 years seems like an extremely long time, yes. but in the grand scheme of things, you still have reinvestment risk and your that bond will mature um, yeah. over the course of the average human lifespan. And, and to be clear, we can't get 7% now. No, no, yeah. We're not in a 7% environment right now. But if you retire today, you're 65, you could buy a 30-year treasury at you know 4.5%. That takes you to age 95, you're getting that income. And for some people, uh, that might be the right way to go. I We would probably never recommend that. But for some people who want no risk, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, uh, who don't want stock market risk, yeah. Uh, they could buy the treasury. Now they're they're subject to inflation risk and um, interest rate risk. Mm-hmm. But again, if they just said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to put it in a tin can and get four and a half percent for the rest of my life," okay. But if it goes back to five or higher, again, I think a lot of people will do that. That makes sense. Yeah. What about maybe we've talked about this, and I'd be interested to get your take. Maybe keeping the stock allocation, whatever it is, but hey, let's just buy 30-year treasuries at 5% for all of the investors' bond allocation. So you you could do that, but you expose yourself to severe interest rate risk because mm. if interest rates go up 1%, uh, that bond's probably going to fall 15 16 or 17% in value. Mm-hmm. So we would, we would be more, I think, more inclined to do a laddered portfolio, having bonds come to you every year or so or every five years, or whatever that time frame is. So you have some that are short-term, some that are near or intermediate-term, and some that are long-term, so that if interest rates do rise, you can take advantage of it when the bonds come due. If interest rates fall, you're, you're locked in at 30 years, and you're making a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point that we really haven't even delved into, is the idea you hold this for 30 years. When it matures 100%, you're going to get it back, backed by the United States government, but that price is still going to fluctuate based on interest rates. And so if you yes. have to, some, for some reason, have this life event and liquidate that um, treasury, mm-hmm. you're going to be subject to whatever price it is. Like if you hold to maturity, you're good. But if you sell it early, you're still subject to that price fluctuation that the rates bring. Yeah, if somebody bought a 30-year treasury last year at 1% or 2 or 3%, and they sold it this year, uh, they'd probably get back you know, 60 70 80 cents on the dollar, you know, depending on their rate. And that, that's pretty substantial. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, if you look at the, the long-term treasury bond funds, uh, they were down huge last year, mm-hmm. um, you know, 20% or so, 22%. That's, that's a bloodletting. And yeah. th- that's a stock move. And a lot of people don't realize that bonds move up and down. So if you lock in 30-year treasury, again, you're exposed to interest rate risk and inflation risk. And th- those can move against you pretty quickly. Oh, no, that makes that makes total sense. And I think it's important to look at under the hood because it looks shiny, great, five percent risk free. Yeah. Or credit risk free. But there's also there's there's different aspects of investing in and kind of these bond lives that really don't come in the mainstream media a lot. So I'm glad we're kind of getting into those issues. Is there any other thing you want to shed a light on when it comes to the thirty year fixed or yeah, well, I would say the, the T-bills one to six months right now are a great value. I would actually say, you know, one month to two years for a lot of people. Uh, we recently bought some two years for some accounts, locking in 5%. But if you're if you're sitting on cash at a bank, you should move that money to a T-bill right now because yeah. you can get uh, 
you know, five, five and a half percent guaranteed, no risk. And the government backs up the bank. So you can go right to the source. So if you are sitting on cash in a bank, you owe it to yourself to buy T-bills. Hmm. Love that. Love that. Perfect. Well, I think that was very informative. Thank you for uh, that empowering education. I think that it just sheds a light on something that I don't think really gets talked about. I think the 5% magic number you talked about, yeah. the psychology of it, people get gravitated for it. They're like all for it. But let's yeah. take a step back and let's really analyze the entire situation. So. Yeah, but it, it was like uh, night and day back in 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 when I was cold calling on with bonds uh, at five percent, people said yes. At four point nine nine, they said no. So uh, it had that four handle in front of it. They wanted yeah. nothing to do with it. You put yeah. a five in front of it, yes, I'll I'll take that investment. So five percent is is a is a good is a good draw for a lot of people and you know rightfully so it's a decent rate yeah that's why all prices are 99 cents so it makes sense <laughs> that's right 499 $5 $5 you don't want to pay that six dollars perfect well yep. let's transition to our faithful finance and in this one we're going to be talking about john 330 and it's the mm. verse says he must increase and i must decrease so to give you a little context what's going on john the baptist had just finished baptizing Jesus and they were going off and doing their ministry. Jesus started his and he was gathering a huge following. People were very intrigued by the Jesus character. And one of John's own disciples came to him and said, Hey, John, dude, we're losing all our influence. We're losing all our followers. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to go after Jesus's ministry? Are we going to do anything? And John comes out and makes this pretty radical statement that like, Hey, my influence must decrease he must increase. And I see that a lot with uh, in, in practice, right? When we're in, in, in the car and I, I struggle with road rage and if somebody cuts me off, is it, am I going to show Spencer self or am I going to show Christ self? Mm. I think in the same manner, when we're spending our money or choosing what to do on our money is our first thought is how can this increase myself? How can I put myself um, in the forefront or how do I put the Lord in the forefront? So that was my big thing is when making decisions in all aspects of our lives, but especially when we're making money decisions, how are we allowing Christ to decrease in ourselves and our own kind of ambitions and desires to decrease? Yeah, because we want to do it all ourselves. We have all the answers. We know what's right. Uh, but if you put him in the forefront, uh, I would wager that things will go a lot better for you. Like if we, uh, well, for me specifically, that if we put him first, a second, then uh, I think the decision becomes pretty clear uh, at that point. Now, a lot of people thought John the Baptist was the one, right? Like, didn't they think he was? Uh, yeah, a lot, of people, a lot of people thought, hey, John, you are. Yeah, and he had to correct him multiple times. He was like, I told you multiple times. I'm not him. <laughs> I came to be the usher of them, but. Yeah, just yeah. anecdotally speaking as well, um, I remember times in my life where I was tithing and times in my life which I when I wasn't. And for some reason, even though I was losing 10% of my take-home pay when I was tithing, it seemed like I didn't have, like I always had enough. And it was very, very strange. Mm. And in the times where I was tithing, even if I was making more money, it seemed like I didn't have enough, which is just... Wait, wait, when you weren't tithing. When right? I wasn't tithing, yeah. It just yeah. felt like I didn't. I was I was I didn't have enough, which is so weird because um, yeah. I was getting that extra ten percent and getting a higher pay. But that's just that's just been my experience thus far, and I've heard many people have the same. 
Well, I will second that. And I think it's it's hard for people who don't give to understand that. They think oh, I'm giving 10% away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be poor. I need that money. But it's, well, it's all God because it's, it's, it's his math. And <laughs> it's crazy how it works. And if you talk to anybody who tithes and gives, they'll have that same story. Like, I don't know. I don't have any answers other than God. You know, I give 10% away, but it seems like I have more than I give and, and so on. And uh, now you don't give to get more, but um, I think the people that uh, give realize not only the, the spiritual side of it, but they don't want for anything either. Yeah, you know, their needs point. are always taken care of. But yeah, it's weird math and it, it's counterintuitive, but it's it's pretty cool too how it works. Yeah. I'll, I'll finish with just, and you can add whatever you like, but I, the story, because I went to a symposium yesterday, and it was all about knowing your client, and they were talking about budgeting, and they were doing a, a person or a couple that was in Southern Baptist Church, and the financial advisor is looking through their budget, and they're like, hey, just take the 10% you're tithing and go to retirement, <laughs> and she said, she said the response of the, the clients were uh, less than... Um, I guess they were gracious, but needless to say, that person didn't get them as clients anymore. So it's, it's pretty funny. You know, uh, and I would add this. I think people who give and tithe are afraid not to. Yeah, oh, that's very true. They're like, you know, I've been tithing forever and there's no way I'm stopping now. You know, I don't want to see what that consequence is going to look like. Um, but, you know, going back to John the Baptist, um, you know, if he had a big ego, he could have said, yeah, I am the one. Like he could have leveraged that. But, you know, talk, talk about checking your ego out the door. That's probably the ultimate play right there, you know, oh, that uh, he said, hey, I'm not I'm not the guy that mm-hmm. that must have been. Uh, I mean, he was a humble servant, obviously, but uh, that's probably the ultimate um, ego check that I could think of. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 in, it's easy to, like, take a step back and not realize that these people in the Bible are our actual people that have feelings and ambitions and intuitions. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, how he was, he was cooking. People were following him left and right. He was yeah. world renowned or at least in Syria and in, in the Middle East. But yeah, well, Good. perfect. Bill, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Don't abandon the ship mm. when times are tough because the sun always comes up tomorrow. And when it does, you'll be happy that you did not jump overboard. And, uh, Markets always recover. And for those of you who panicked and sold a few weeks ago, this is what happens. The markets rebound because you never know when, why, where, or how market's going to take off. So stay in, stay diversified, follow your plan. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you.